Tamara Hergert with the Empowered Artist Community. And today I have uh, the honor of uh, interviewing uh, an amazing artist. His name is Robert Najlis, and he is um, he is so amazing because I think after reading all of his uh, uh, titles in the background, I, from his background, it will be just amazing. So he has a master's degree in fine arts. Plus he has a computer science degree, a master's in computer science degree. Plus, uh, if that's not enough, uh, he um, had a focus in artificial intelligence <laughs> and cognitive science. So that also is reflected in his art and he's also a Fulbright scholar. So <laughs> I am completely, um, um, struck with all the things that he has accomplished <laughs> in his life. And so, um, Robert, you have this vibrant body of uh, artworks, and it's it's a combination of uh, ab abstract art and also this really um, impressionistic look and feel in terms of how you apply your uh, brush strokes and uh, how the uh, emotion in your uh, artworks is uh, expressed. So, and you also use this super uh, beautiful um, hue of yellow. It kind of <laughs> you can see you can see kind of <laughs> I, your, uh, your artworks. So, tell me a little bit about your uh, Fulbright Scholar experience and how it um, how you first of all how you. Uh, heard about the program, how you got in, um, and uh, how it influenced your uh, body of work in general. I know this is a, a big question. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. I'm, I'm really, it's it's a real treat, and you know, you have a wonderful community. So I'm very, I'm also very honored to be a part of this today. So thank you for that. Um, you know, all the, the titles, and I mean, it, it sounds like a lot, but it's. I don't know. It's um, it's just a part of life sometimes, and and you, we find ourselves studying this or going going there. And uh, and I've been fortunate really to have some opportunities. Um, you mentioned you know the MFA, and and that was a wonderful opportunity where I really learned a lot and grew a lot as an artist. And the Fulbright, uh, the Fulbright, um, you know, it's funny. So the Fulbright scholarship is really meant as an opportunity for cultural exchange. It's you know it's sponsored by the U.S. government, um, and I grew up with. I mean, it's it's a hard scholarship to to get, and I grew up thinking, just not even thinking of it as a possibility. Right? It's one of the things that was kind of out there, and some people get it, and I don't know how. Um, but you know, I grew up. Look, well, I grew up right outside of New York City, and I grew up going to the museums there. You know the Museum of Modern Art, but also the Met. And the Met, it has artwork from all over the world, and it's an amazing opportunity. And I grew up influenced and inspired by that. And I think for me, the idea of the Fulbright of a cultural exchange it made sense, and it made sense with my artwork because while I'm deeply influenced by a lot of Western art, you know the New York School, the mm -hmm. Abstractionists, the Impressionists, as you mentioned. Matisse and Miro, you know, my artists that I love, have also been influenced by art from other parts of the world. And one of the main influences for me was Chinese art 
And that's what my Fulbright was actually for. It was to go to China and study uh, Chinese art, not to become, you know, becoming a Chinese calligrapher or painter, it's a lifelong endeavor, but to understand the principles underneath and how it relates to Western art. And it's actually, you were talking about my, my book, uh, Color Movement Theory. And yeah. you know, I went, my original idea for the Fulbright was to really look at the use of pictorial space in Chinese art. But I also found something that you know, I knew about, but I learned a lot more. If you look at like uh, Chinese clothing, the silk robes and the use of color in that, it really opened my eyes to, to the different sensibility of, of how one might use color and opening us to think about, you know, we're, we're often taught these prescribed ways. This is, these are the colors, yeah. these are the colors that go together, but actually there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and variability and, and learning from, the, from different cultures, but learning that we can make it our own. We can make color our own and make it personal. And uh, you mentioned yellow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, it turns out I, I, like, I like yellow. Um, I didn't even realize it until one day somebody was in my studio and said, wow, that's a lot of yellow. And I said, really? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, it, you know, it's funny how sometimes we're so ensconced in what we do. We don't, we don't realize, oh yeah, oh yeah, that is a lot. Um, but I think yellow is, it's a really vibrant color. It's a delicate color in the sense of once you go a little bit darker, it's orange or it's brown or it's green. Yes. So to keep yellow yellow, you really have to listen carefully to who yellow is and what it's telling you and how it works and how we can support it with other colors yes. around to make it to make it sing. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting how you mentioned that, uh, the supporting colors or the colors, you know, that uh, how they all play together. And I think the book that you um, uh, have written, The um, Color Movement, I've read it and it's wonderful. Um, so it made me think of color and different combinations of colors uh, in a completely different way. Like the way you... Um, give examples and actually show uh, your point with uh, different uh, paintings uh, from very, a big variety of artists. Um, it makes it so easy to understand, uh, you know, how the color moves, how they interact with uh, each other and how they uh, can support or not support each other, you know, yeah. how, uh, so it makes it possible to understand the, um, the masterpieces like you know sometimes you look at the painting and you think how is this so good <laughs> yeah yeah how they do that how do they right exactly how did they do this <laughs> and then uh by reading your book you can actually um get a very good understanding of okay now i get it now i understand how their um choice of color made this so um natural and organic and like you know it looks um it looks like all the colors are playing so well together and if you change it just a little bit like there are a couple examples where you change the color just a little bit yeah. and you're like oh yeah that looks completely 
just off. <laughs> <laughs> if they just yeah. just a little bit different uh, differently on the hue, uh, it it just throws off the uh, entire um, perception of that painting. And yeah. so um, I think it's it's super valuable to you know just uh, even see the examples that <laughs> you you are giving. <laughs> So, um, what uh, what moved you to um, hmm. to write this book? I know you have already mentioned that it sort of kind of came to you, right? Yeah, it came to me over a long, long time. <laughs> you know, it's well, I mentioned you know growing up and going to the museums, and I remember even when I was young. So, so I grew up looking at these colors, and I was, and I was. You know, painting when I was, even when I was young, and at first, you know, when you're very young, you're just working. You just play. You know, you don't don't know that much necessarily. And then I started to study some color theory, and I found there was this big divide. It's like this is how colors are supposed to be, but but this is what I feel. And and in fact, when I started teaching. I found the same problem with my students, where either you know, color theory either becomes very analytical. You know, this is the color wheel. This is the position of of the colors on the wheel, mm -hmm. even though there's many different color wheels and they all have different positions of colors. But this is a this is a position, and if you follow these geometric shapes, your colors will go together. And that, as opposed to what people we're looking for, which is the emotions that colors bring, the feeling that it brings, how it makes a painting, makes our lives come alive and sing. And it's yeah. not just paintings, it's, it's our clothing, it's, it's our furniture, it's everything we do it, you know, in our lives. And that divide, that was one of the big things that motivated me is, I want a color theory that supports my intuition, that helps me ask questions. Like you were mentioning that in, in the book, I'll take a painting and I'll change the color. And the reason is I want to ask a question and I want to be able to get an answer. I want to understand what's happening. And I felt with traditional color theory, if I change the color, it's oh, okay, yeah. That's, uh, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't, well, why? And I want yeah. to understand how colors talk to each other and what's the language of color. And there was another motivation as well. I've studied, I've studied music. I'm not, I, I would not call myself a musician whatsoever, but you know, I, I play a little music. But perhaps more importantly is in the course of that, I studied music theory. Mm -hmm. And music theory is very, very clear on the idea of movement. This note leads to that note. This note pulls away from that note. Here we have consonants and colors or sounds that go together. Here we have dissonance and tension and sounds that, that move apart. They're very clear about it. So clear that you can have arguments about it. I mean, it's, it's not to say that they're so clear and they have everything figured out and there's no questions, but rather there's a real clarity. There's an understanding of the language of sound and the relationships of sound and enough of a, of a Understanding that we can, you know, we can have differing opinions as well, which I think is a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I started looking at color theory, and 
there's very little discussion of movement. What colors are, how are they moving? How are colors talking to each other? What's yeah. their language? And only a few people, and in fact, uh, Joseph Alberts in his book, uh, The Interaction of Colors, you know, it's interesting. I've read the book numerous times and I always, you know, we always hear simultaneous contrast, but I was rereading and I suddenly thought, I saw, oh, he's really criticizing traditional color theory, like yeah. really, really directly. And he's calling for a change and he's calling for consonants and dissonance like we see in music. Uh -huh. But how do we, how do we do that? How do we create that sense of movement, but also how do we make it so we don't once again find ourselves in this divide of analytical and intuitive, but rather we have something that, that we can use to help cultivate and foster our intuition. You know, you, you can't yeah. paint and do calculus at the same time. <laughs> you just, and, or even right. look at a painting. <laughs> you, don't want to look, you don't want to look at Van Gogh and say, oh, I understand it because, you know, the, I don't know, some mathematical form. No, you want to feel it and you want, I think at least I, I think we want a, uh, an understanding of the language of color that helps us understand it further and helps us feel it further. Yeah. So I wanted something that would have movement and, and bring together the yeah. analytical and the intuitive. Yeah, I think it's logic and, it and the intu intuition that you want to bring together because it's, uh, it, you know, after yeah. reading your book, I realized that um, uh, that was in, the missing piece that I always search for, like in creating my paintings, I always felt like, okay, well, um, I have this um, background and now what do I, um, like what hue do I use for the elements uh, around it? And like in my own work, I've realized that over the years that they sort of all have the same, like they all influence each other. Like the colors that are... Uh, yeah in all the objects, they kind of repeat each other in the adjacent objects. So it's sort of like, uh, if you just use um, uh, color blocks, it has, it, it is very tricky. Like, you know, like some artists just, you know, just use solid color um, blocks in their paintings. For me, it's, it would be very tricky <laughs> because I cheat. <laughs> Sort of, you know, my paint the painterly, and so I kind of I use the same color here, the same color there, and then I blend it in, and then it yeah. kind of all uh, looks like they're all uh, repeating each other, and it all looks very natural, and uh, and I consider it uh, more realistic and uh, more che more cheating way, <laughs> because that's how I see the world. <laughs> you know, it's all interacting uh, with each other. Yeah. And, like you know, the sky reflects in the um, in the lake. The lake reflects sure. in the sky. The landscape reflects lake and the sky. And then there's a bird that reflects both the sky, the lake, and the, um, the landscape behind. Yeah. And so it's all you know going well together. But if you were to tell me, okay, here's a challenge for you. you can only use one color for the sky, one <laughs> color for the background, like for the landscape, and one color for the uh, lake, and one color for the bird flying, you know, about the lake. That would be a super challenge for me. Um, but thanks to your book, I think I could actually accomplish uh, <laughs> accomplish the painting. <laughs> I now understand how it all needs to play together. Yeah. You know? Like. Yeah, and and. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, um, 
go ahead. Oh, uh, you know, this idea of mixing colors into each other or having large blocks, they're both effective ways to paint, right? I, I look at some of Matisse's work and large areas of color and or some of his earlier work where he's mixing things in a lot more or, or you know, Monet mixing work, you know, colors in a lot more. Again, for me, it's, it should never be, this is the way to paint or that's the way to paint. It's how do you want to paint? How do you, how do you want to speak? What do you want to talk about? And how do you, how do you want to say it? And again, I wanted a way of, of understanding it that would be applicable for everybody, which is hard, right? I mean, it's yeah. part of making something applicable for everybody is you can't make so many rigid absolute rules you know for example i think we've all grown up with the idea of primary colors and you know red yellow and blue or maybe now it's cyan magenta, and yellow but you have primary colors and i was reading it in you know, uh, the art of color the other day and he's talking about you know these absolute primary colors and but there's been scientific experiments which are very interesting you know the the science of color is still continuing they there's so much they haven't figured out and there was an experiment where they said okay we're going to take a number of people we're going to test them and, say, and have them choose show me you know choose a, the primary red this is a red that's not yellowish it's not bluish it's red and the same thing for yellow and blue and yeah i think green everybody had a different answer <laughs> so and and to me, that's wonderful. Yes. It's, you know, to say that these are the absolute primaries, it's not the way things work. You know, our body, our eyes see color, we see color differently, starting with externally, the shape of our eyes, internally, the receptors we have, and then it goes into the brain and, oh my gosh, everything gets crazy in there. And I, I love that. I, you know, I, I, and I wanted a, again, I wanted a way to, think about color that that wouldn't put me in you know I, I've taught color theory classes in the university right and it yes and I felt horrible it's like oh this is you know you're supposed to do this supposed to do that and it's, no no this isn't this isn't right there there's something wrong with the way we've been thinking about color not look there, there's many useful things about it I don't want it's mm -hmm. not the idea to throw everything out but to build on that and to say wait we can have a much more flexible way to to look at this, and you know, even when I first started writing the book, and it's, I think you know, writing a book is a long project. Yeah, it's been, it's been years. But I first started writing it, and I was struggling with the idea of what are the primary colors? What am I gonna in my book? What am I gonna say are primary colors? Is it red, yellow, blue? Is it cyan, magenta, and yellow? Is it the four opponent colors: red, yellow, blue, green? And I struggled with it for a long time, and I finally realized, wait a second, this is crazy. This doesn't. And I started looking at the research. Okay, wait a second. You know, we have to have a different way of looking at it. That yes, we can use these colors as guideposts. In my yeah. book, I talk about. All right, let's have four basic colors that we can give ourselves a, a grounding, a place to start from, so we're not completely swimming in the open water. But let's not get so fixed on it that we feel um, locked into something that's not that doesn't make sense. 
for us personally. Yes. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, color is definitely a personal experience and everybody paints in a different way and mixes colors in a different way. And uh, uh, it's sort of an exploration each time you sit down. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think uh, color theory should help us, and we were talking about this before, it should help us ask those questions. Yeah. My problem that I've had with traditional color theory is it didn't, it gave me answers I was supposed to subscribe to. It didn't help me ask questions. For example, you, you, you mentioned in my book that I have, you know, I'll take a, a, an image and I'll change it. I think there's like over 250 images now at the, in, in my book. Because um, I, tr you know, I, it's a color book. I try to make it rich with, with examples. Those examples really, really help. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, thank you. I, I, I hope so. Um, but one of them, for example, I took a Van Gogh and I said, well, what happens if these red flowers down at the bottom, what happens to the painting if we take them out? And I wanted to ask the question. I also want to understand why. And I want to understand what changed, because I think we mentioned the, the language of color is movement. And I want to understand these colors in this painting. They're talking to each other. Yes. And if I, and, and you were talking as well, if you change a color, what happens? What happens to their conversation? What have I changed in their, in their dialogue? And the answer doesn't have to be right or wrong. The answer yeah. more so is, well, now instead of going here, it's going there. Now instead of these colors you know, go, being harmoniously together, now they're creating some tension there. Is that what you want? Is that yeah. what you, how, what would you like to have? And it lets us ask questions, it lets us understand. And this again is that kind of relationship between that intuitive and analytical. Mm -hmm. I can feel something. And for example, I was working on a painting a, a while ago and um, it's it actually a realistic painting. There's a building and there was a sky and I felt that I wanted more space in, be, in that area. Mm -hmm. But I also knew I didn't want to change the location of them. So how did I create space without changing the physical geometry of these yes. two? And, and so I started, then I could go back and forth and I could ask some, some of the analytical, well, what if I did this? What if I did that? What would, how would these work theoretically, right? Mm -hmm. And then I could try it and I could feel it. And I could yes. see it and I could take that feeling and bring it back into, into my, the analytical questioning of it. Um, so, yeah, I want a theory that helps me explore. That helps and helps everybody to explore mm -hmm. and ask questions, and and we can all find our answers. Yeah. So, um, based on that, who do you think your uh, ideal reader is? Like, who would mm -hmm. be the person who would read your book and have this aha moment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, it's um, I I've been fortunate talking about aha moments. I had a, there have been times when I've, I've actually been talking about this with people and, and heard them exclaim that. And that's incredibly fulfilling just to, to know that I've been able to share something with them and touch them is, that is incredibly fulfilling because, you know, you read a book, you're behind the computer, you're all alone and, and you don't know. Um, but when I think about the reader for the book, for me, it's not about the level 
they are as an artist, or even if they are an artist. I, there are people who've read the book and really enjoyed it who aren't artists at all, but who like to, for example, go to museums and look at artwork and want to have yes. a better understanding of it. And like I said, I mean, this, although all the examples are from art, most of the painting, because that's my background, that's what I know. Mm -hmm. um, it's also where I can find good quality examples. It's hard to find good quality examples on, you know, of all, this, all these colors. Yeah. But it certainly is applicable to other areas as well, design and clothing and fashion, everyday lives. The book is not a cookbook. Right? It's not a recipe book of one, two, three, do this and do that, and, and there you go and you're done. For me, the ideal reader is somebody who wants to explore color, wants to engage with it, who's willing to play and ask questions mm -hmm. and investigate and, and maybe even try things. Yeah. Uh, maybe get some paint or some colored paper out and, and, and try things. So that's what I think of as the ideal reader. I've tried really, really hard to make it as accessible as possible to people of all different levels of experience with color. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in fact, you know, because I'm selling it as an ebook on my website only right now, there's a there's a nice opportunity for that where I can actually update the book, and you know that's a that's a free download. Everybody who's bought the book, that's that's available for free. And I've I've already updated this book once, and I'm working on a second and with a third update planned. And some of those updates come from feedback that I've gotten. That yeah. oh, I see. If I explain this. I, I was talking to somebody the other day as, as we were working through some of his paintings and he was trying to apply some of these ideas to it. And I realized, okay, if I explain this process better in, in these ways, I think it's going to help to, for, for more people to be able to engage with it. So, <laughs> you know, no, no book is ever perfect. We can <laughs> always try, but I've, oh, I've yes. really tried to make it, <laughs> I tried to make it as accessible as possible to, to all levels to make it, for a beginner or somebody who's not an artist to come in mm -hmm. and, and understand it, but also for people with years of experience to have a lot that they can gain from it as well. Yeah, yeah you know, um, I almost wish uh, that your book would be uh, available and um, like demonstrated with examples uh, at all the like large museums where uh, you know, as I said, you look at the painting and you think, how how did they do this? How how come that it really speaks to me? How come that it goes so well together? And you know, just having that explanation or like seeing how uh, just a slight change would affect the yeah. viewer differently. You know, the person who is looking at the painting would just be completely repelled or completely <laughs> um, feeling like, you know, this doesn't go well, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, or, or even, again, just a different sensation. It, it might not be that it's wrong or bad. It might just be, mm -hmm. oh, that, that's a very different feeling. Yes. That's not what I really expect. I actually, I do hope at some point to be able to do that, to be able to go into museums and, and, and give talks you know, going a little bit back to the motivation for this book, a lot of times art history, and we get caught up in the the history part, the dates, you know, who this person was, what they were doing, and 
and it can be hard to find a way to understand their work, what they were doing and why they were doing it in their work. And so that's part of what I hope to, to be able to do, to have that, that history, you know, or not so much history, but rather that you can walk in and you can see any artwork, whether it's contemporary work in a gallery, mm -hmm. in your friend's studio, or in a museum. And as a viewer, as well as an artist, you can understand, oh, I see, these are how these colors are talking. Oh, this color is, yes. this color is looking for that color, but it's not finding it, it's finding a different color. And, and that's creating this movement or this tension. Oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, look how these colors go together so nicely here and creates a very Pacific, uh, gentle feeling and how wonderful yeah. that is. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, um. One painting um, that really, um, you know, I wish I uh, had the book uh, with me uh, and uh, looked at it, but uh, there was one painting where the color of the, you changed the color of the dress. And I thought, you know, I think that's the color that was really getting to me like emotionally. And so you change it slightly and my interest in the painting disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Like it completely became- he became uninterested. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was probably the painting by Mary Cassatt. I think it's Woman with a Sunflower, if I remember. I'm, I'm not the best at remembering titles, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, the, the brilliance of her choice of colors, and it's very subtle. And if you change that color, suddenly it's not that it's a bad painting, but you're your interest change it becomes much instead of this kind of um the dress and then the flower had this real contrast dynamic real tension. Yeah, like the pop yeah. yes very dynamic and he, he, and then i think i changed it so that it was i took out that dynamism yes and so the and color, can, yeah more complementary i yeah. think uh, yeah, not, not in terms of complementary colors, like opposite, but yeah. more like, yeah, like going to, yeah, like harmonious and, and it became a very different painting. It became a very quiet painting, a very nice painting, but that's not what she was saying. She was creating a very dynamic figure and she did that in large part through the use of color. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that moment was uh, a pivotal moment in my understanding of, okay, well, you know, she made this slight change and it completely changed my perception of what she was trying to say, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, let's talk about how you are promoting the book and how you would like to reach your ideal reader and uh, who you think would uh, um, just jump up and down <laughs> about reading <laughs> it and uh, reading it and you know seeing all the examples because it's the examples really that you know make the book and I'm so glad that you made so many of those examples uh, in the book because um, otherwise it's just another explanation of color theory you know okay I've uh, you know but, we've yeah. it in here and there <laughs> uh, when you actually see the uh, the conversation you know about one uh, piece of art or another and how uh, you can just completely change things up with just a slight change of uh, hue. Um, it, it's really valuable. 
So um, how uh, are you promoting the book right now? And what are your plans for promoting the book? Mm -hmm. uh, like, what are your channels? How are you trying to reach your uh, uh, ideal reader? Well, I'll, I'll say a few things, but I think in the end, of course, I'll, I'll defer to the expert, which is you, because this is where I'll learn as well, as well as our audience. Um, so we're, honestly, that's why I say I'm, I'm very, feel very fortunate to be able to talk about this with you. You know, you mentioned one of the key difficulties in promoting this book is that first bluff, it sounds like, all right, another book on color theory. Thanks. <laughs> Just what I don't need, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, I've been learning. I, I am, I'm an artist. I'm not a marketer. And I'm, but you know, times have changed and we have to be marketers as well. And I'm learning that process. And I'm, one of the things I'm learning is just that, is to show the dynamic aspect, show these changes, show how, you know, these questions that we can ask. So I have, uh, you know, I was actually uh, active in a, a little bit on Clubhouse in the early days. Um, there's a group there, it's a, very, a nice group that we, we talk about painting and um, mm -hmm. I've gotten to know people through there. And that was, I think they got to know me and they got to know, my thinking about art and so that was i think because they knew me they there was some, maybe some trust that oh maybe this book is interesting and, and yeah and so i sold some through there and i and they've actually been a wonderful community i've given some uh presentations on the book there as well i most of my up to now most of my social media has been on instagram and you know facebook by default because it, it copies yeah. it over um which is okay but Facebook, uh, maybe you're be you maybe better at the algorithms than I am, but you know, I find that it, you know, I have a, you know, 13,000 followers and a few hundred people via post. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not great. Um, but what I am starting to do is I'm getting to ready to make more videos, more educational videos, mm -hmm. but not just about the book, right? But actually talking about different areas of art and, you have to present some of them in short form on Instagram, but actually I'm planning to start a YouTube channel. And I think, I hope that will be uh, very useful for me in selling the book, but also in connecting with a wider yeah. audience. You know, I'm, I'm a teacher, right? Uh, and I've always, even since I was a kid, I've wanted to paint and teach art. And that's what I wanted to do. And uh, you know, although I teach, you know, at the universities, but I think YouTube is a wonderful medium to yeah. to share with a lot of people. And, you know, of course, I have my own blog and my website, which is out of date. I have to, <laughs> I have to update that. Um, I've been busy with the book. Uh, and I, so I think the YouTube videos and then I'll, you know, have some short form ones yeah. on Instagram. And I just I just get uh, sign up for TikTok. So I'll. Yeah, haven't posted anything yet, but once I start, you know, with the videos, I'll have a few, a few uh, short videos there as well. Uh, yeah. But maybe um, you have <laughs> better things. Um, so my, um, my take on uh, social media is that um, it's, um, it's a, an incredibly powerful tool that... Mm. Um, you can utilize, but it takes time and effort to build the momentum. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's very easy to get discouraged, you know, because uh, initially you get very little engagement, very little followers, very little views, and you're pretty much like, okay, who, who am I doing this for? Yeah. But um, uh, the trick to overcoming this hump is to uh, see, uh, like, to close your eyes and and see the people uh, uh, who are watching or listening or reading and see those people and how they feel, you know, just hmm. feeling their feelings yeah. in your own heart that they're yeah. joyful and they're happy to see uh, or watch or read whatever it is that you created. So basically, uh, it's like you're reaching out into the future and grabbing onto <laughs> their feelings like yeah. an anchor and sort of, you know, getting pulled by that. And, um, and then besides that, um, so that's the uh, emotional and energetic component that kind of that, that's wonderful. creates I like motivation that. and an internal and drive. Um, that's very important to have because if you get discouraged and you start like, you know, being unsure of yourself, you, you're kind of losing that grip. But if you are connected with that uh, point of contact energetically, you will get there. You know, you, you just pretty much it creates a super highway between you and that point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really love that way you, you said that. And it is true. I, I've made some real friends, actually, via social media, via Instagram and, and, and uh, Clubhouse and Facebook, people that I've actually been in touch with outside of. These mediums, and I when I I do try and think of it, I try and think of the person, right? Um, I think I've learned to, you know, when you first put your stuff out, just beginning on Instagram, and you know, the first kind of things, and you're a little nervous. And I've learned from my own feelings of that to to also understand, yeah, when somebody else puts something out and they're engaging and the importance of, of creating a supportive environment yes. and a supportive and caring community that we do support each other. And, and the, it may seem like, oh, it's just a little Instagram thing, but actually sometimes you do get to know people and you do have yeah. real and deeper interactions with them. And, and sometimes even if it's just a small thing on Instagram, that means something. That, yeah. That, you know, especially when we're putting out artwork and we're like, I don't know, right? Or something, or anything. Maybe it's about our daily lives, and, and we don't yes. know. And getting that support, I think, I really like how you said that because I think making it a positive environment is it, it's it helps us. It helps other people. It's it's really yeah. wonderful. And and if I'm thinking about this as a business, well, that's that's how I want to run a business, right? I want to be caring. I want to be creating mm -hmm. something that people want to be a part of and and um i want to be a positive point in their lives yeah yeah absolutely it, that's that's it, you know that that's the driving force inside of you that gets you there um and from the technical standpoint the um so it's it's really about um getting your um book in front of other people's audiences for example you're getting your book in front of my audience right now 
Thank you. So yeah. um, reaching out to other uh, uh, podcasters or um, uh, museum curators would be another important step for you because um, it's just, you know, it's, they already have the audience. They're already looking for uh, quality uh, content, quality guest, quality speaker. You have all the credentials, you have the material, you have example, you have credibility uh, that many, many artists who try to do something and, you know, they really want it, but they're just, you know, they just need a little bit more. Umph. So you have all the umph you need. <laughs> so <laughs> you have uh, absolutely all the things that you need, you already have them. And it's really just making a very long list of uh, people that you can work with. And, mm. you know, it's much easier to reach out to a person by email uh, and, you know, get something scheduled with them and get in front of their audience and, uh, you will get a huge boost uh, into your uh, uh, following. And most importantly, you know, the um, uh, emotional support that you get from just, you know, feeling that your uh, your book is needed. The, mm. you know, the, the boost that you get from that is invaluable. So the um, uh, in-person uh, presentations are probably are going to be your biggest uh, sales channel and uh, boost because the um, the way you talk about it and how you are explaining you know different things and giving examples uh, it's always going to drive sales you know people who, yeah. who who see you in person who um, know that okay there's must be something in this book that I have to have if I want to have my painting done just right. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about your book because before, before reading it, I felt like, okay, I'm always unsure, you know, which color. <laughs> and after reading it, I feel like, okay, I, I feel more confident now and I can always refer to it and kind of look at it. So, uh, but the thing is just, Reaching out to the uh, galleries, museum curators, um, uh, art pod podcasters, um, YouTubers. Uh, I, I can just give you a list of uh, people who I think would be a good uh, uh, match for you in terms of, you know, just getting in front of their audiences. And, you know, and it has to be a um, very um, coherent partnership between you yeah. and them so basically you can't reach out to your competitors for example to another book writer who is also writing a, a book about color theory because <laughs> trying to sell the same thing that you're trying to sell <laughs> also yeah you know, although if they have a different enough theory actually it can be could be complimentary could but, be, yes. but yeah i do hear yeah. your point though yeah. yeah yeah so um but for example um a person who has um, a huge follow of a following of uh, watercolor artists. Mm -hmm. And for example, they have uh, uh, a series of watercolor uh, courses, you know, uh, and so they, 
sort of explain the color theory in one of their courses, you know, through uh, the examples that they give, but it's not as complete as yours. You know, it's not as uh, uh, really well defined. And so working with them would be a really good boost into the exposure and sales and just um, promoting the book. So it's, and so here's my approach to Instagram and Facebook. Instagram and Facebook are, it's like you're trickling. You're trickling, 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 trickling with your posts. Uh, and it, ha it has to be a consistent flow of um, quality um, content that is branded and professional and uh, it gives value. It adds value to the person who you know is looking at it or clicking on it. Mm. Um, so it doesn't have to be um, uh, time consuming. It can be something very small, you know, uh, you know, just like uh, uh, a link to your blog, and you can repost. Um, basically, you can refer to that same link to your blog to that same article several times in your feed because people are always looking at the thing that is uh, most recent, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I tend to post once and then ah, I posted it. I can't post yes. again. <laughs> so you can uh, you can repost things with different images with the same image. You can just shift the focus, uh, you know, to different part of the painting, you know, which becomes a different image, you know, because you sort of uh, have the image uh, here you know, cropped here, but you can, if you just shift it here, it becomes, you know, still complementary in your feed. It kind of looks really good in your feed, but uh, just shifts it a little bit. And if you're making posts that have uh, words in them, you sort of need to uh, define your font. So figure out your font and stick to it. Yeah. And whether it's a um, solid background, you know, just white background with whatever font and you, you know, what the, um, the wording that you're trying to be, to convey um, to the audience, but it needs to be consistent because one of the most uh, common mistakes people do is they use too many fonts, too many different fonts in their uh, feed. It creates sure this, <laughs> so just stick to one font or maximum two, Fonts mm. and you know if you're using more than two or more than one, so you can have that unusual one sort of kind of be the pop mm -hmm. feature, mm. and yeah. the one that you're trying to convey the information a more readable one, kind of more frequent. So it's very readable, but still mm. has a little bit of visual interest here, in, like in accents. Um, same thing with colors. You know, it just if you make it too busy for people, right? You know, it becomes too busy, and so just create space in your posts where you, you know, uh, you're you have words here, then picture of you, picture of your painting, then um, uh, picture of your art, art, art space, or um, you know, an art gallery where you want to. And the thing is. Uh, artists sometimes have this uh, misconception that they only uh, can post their own uh, work. Like, you know, mm. where if you are standing uh, at an art supply store 
and you just snap a picture of whatever you're so enamored with, that's your post. Or yeah. if you're an art museum, you're visiting an art gallery or art museum, and you just love somebody's work, you can, yeah. you know, snap it and say, "Hey, I'm I'm here. I'm looking at this, and it's amazing." Yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah. just yeah. just alleviating alleviating that pressure that it has to be your work. Mm. Uh, but always giving credit to whoever has created this and promoting yeah. sort of in a way yeah. that at work and saying, hey, I love this. <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah. Um, and that adds uh, value to your community because mm. you're engaging with them. You're saying, hey, am I real? I'm a real person. Here's what I have to offer. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. here's where I am. And, it doesn't, and at the same time, it doesn't have to be um, like a news report each time. Like, right. you know, a lot of right. people um, post their stuff. It's like breaking news all the time. I'm here. I'm like in Cuba, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'm right next to these uh, sandals and they're awesome. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> you can post the same post many months later and say, uh, I love these sandals on my, when I visited Cuba and they still, uh, uh, I still see them yeah. in my dreams, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, I personally yeah. like letting people know where I am at each exact moment in my life because it, I feel like I, you know, it's a violation of my privacy. If I am posting it right now, yeah. like in real life. Yeah, I know. I just want to. It's have, a lot of pressure. It's it's. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I have to be doing something all the time. It's, yes. You know, so gonna, it doesn't yeah. have to be like that. You just need to have a mm -hmm. good picture of okay. I want my feed to look this way. Because you're, it's sort of you're creating kind of, kind of like a, a magazine spread. That's how I would describe mm. it. So mm. it's sort of a magazine spread that people can interact with. Yeah. So if you look at it this way, it will actually uh, relieve the pressure of constant, uh, yeah. constant feed um, that you have to create right now. It, right. It, asks for a more planned way, more, yeah. you know, more a strategic uh, way of posting your things and thinking them through. And when you have some thought and uh, color yeah. uh, and rhythm that is planned out and it, yeah. it creates a sense of order and um, harmony. And so when yeah. a person looks at your, at your account, they, they feel like, okay, well, I can make sense of this. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's, is, that's the yeah. Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> uh, so Facebook business page. Um, that's. Oh, I'm I'm so behind on that. <laughs> well, Facebook business page. It's great to have it. It does not um, give you as much uh, bang for your effort as um, yeah. one would hope. So in the early days of Facebook. It would promote, uh, basically, it would show up in your, um, uh, in the in the feeds of the people who followed or liked your uh, right, business right. Um, yeah. page, Facebook business page. Uh, and then Facebook said, you know, there are too many brands that take advantage of people. We just want it uh, to be more like a community and more like family and friends yeah. oriented. So they completely... Um, uh, ditch that feature where they uh, they only show it to people who actually like or interact with your 
feed. So, for example, that you have 100 people who liked your page. Of, of those 100 people, only 10 people actually, you know, consistently interact with your posts. So it will only show um, in their feed. To those people. Yes. And yeah. two of these people, it's your mom and your grandma, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so having that in mind, do not obsess or stress about uh, having a whole bunch of followers on your Facebook business mm -hmm. page. Facebook business page, it's really just, uh, I would call it the front, <laughs> the front, yeah. the, the professional front for your uh, uh, presence on Facebook. You know, you just yeah. click the checkbox on your Instagram post to just <laughs> Put it out there and eventually facebook does do a little bit of uh, algorithm promotion and does send it to somebody but mm. uh else other than your audience but it's a very small sort of uh promotion yeah. so to be honest even, with you i'm uh, oh, even to pay the money <laughs> that's the, that's uh, the key so that's why they say uh yeah. would you like this Post is performing really well. <laughs> Would you like <laughs> <Pay us money. laughs> to boost it or promote yeah. it? And yeah. you know, and sometimes it is worth it. But yeah. um, on Facebook, there there's just a different type of community than on Instagram. Instagram mm -hmm. is the younger younger demographics than Facebook. TikTok mm. is younger, so it depends on who you're targeting in terms of like, who is your audience? So if you just want right. to uh, spread the love to all, just do what you're doing, post to Instagram, check the box, um, you know, also post to yeah. Facebook and TikTok if you have an account. And that way you're covered, you know, you, yeah. you're doing, doing uh, you're kind of laying out your pattern, yeah. your post pattern. And you're engaging with your audience on Instagram, but you're also creating a very cohesive professional uh, uh, profile on your Facebook yeah. account. When people can reach you, they can see you there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the thing with Facebook, there's not much um, search done uh, organically through Facebook. For example, yeah. people wouldn't go to look for uh, a plumber on Facebook, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and so that's the thing about Facebook. So you have your Facebook uh, profile set up so you can uh, partner up and work professionally with other uh, people who you would like to work with. So oh, it's sort of it's done not for your um, final um, reader or client, um, for the most part, unless you are promoting one of your posts mm -hmm. on Facebook. Like you're uh, targeting, uh, for example, you have this color movement uh, theory uh, post with video in it with uh, some examples. And so you just want to promote that post to right, your artist community. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you select the age in your promotion right. campaign. And then um, uh, you also select the gender, which I always recommend, you know, just keep it general yeah. you know both yeah. men and women uh would um, uh, engage with you and then um uh location basically mm -hmm. do you want to focus just on new york 
Do you want to expand more to other states? Do you want to have mm. United States in the United Kingdom and the and in Canada as well? Basically, you know, in mm. uh, playing with those things, um, kind of seeing how you how you change the demographics, uh, and how it sort of re responds to uh, to to those changes in terms of yeah. you know how clicks are. Uh, um, coming through to to you uh, in, in your post so that also is uh, you know something you can play around with but it's way less effective it's uh, so uh going directly to the museum cur curators working directly with the art yeah. galleries and like uh, with the established uh, uh, community leaders and uh, um, influencers, you know, YouTubers, it's a way warmer approach and it will yield you more results. So I like that. Yeah. I would, at this point, I would advise against um, creating a Facebook promotion, you know, and yeah. trying to sell yeah. your stuff on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, although, you, you know, you can try <laughs> and see how... <laughs> And, you know, just kind of even getting this experience, it's a valuable experience, you know, yeah. even promoting one post will get you to think about how does this work and things will actually start clicking for you hmm. personally. You'll yeah. be like, okay, now, yeah. I, now I get it. Now I get yeah. it. How they are showing it to like, you know, they sh are showing it to a wide uh, audience and only, you know, a percentage of it is actually uh stopping to look at the yeah. at the cover yeah, and right. only a small percentage is actually you know clicking through stuff and only a smaller percentage is actually clicking on something to get something you know mm. like a sample a free sample of, of the book yeah. Um, yeah so um so that's how i would create that post you know basically mm. just get a free sample of the book uh that would be one of the juicy parts that kind of wants makes them want to read more. Uh, so, uh, but it's a way more colder and way less effective way to actually get you to um, to the sales. The sales uh, will happen if you um, reach out to those uh, directly to those um, uh, partners. Uh, museum curators, uh, university mm. uh, professors who would like yeah. a guest speaker, you know, yeah. they, yeah. they need somebody to, you know, just switch things up. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and having your book in the electronic format uh, format is wonderful because it's something everybody can have on their phone and, or whatever device that they have, and you can have it forever. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you so much for your interview. I uh, I hope this uh, I hope my my ideas and thoughts uh, help you a little bit in uh, promoting it and uh, you know getting into uh, getting it into the uh, hands of the yeah. re readers who would uh, definitely have the aha moment that I had. Uh, <laughs> so um, I will post a link uh, to your website. Uh, where people can buy the book uh, in the comments, uh, not in the comments, but in the uh, episode details. 
And um, so uh, thank you so much for coming. It's been wonderful to have you. Uh, and just, uh, I'm so happy that we finally met. Uh, we <laughs> on before and I, uh, I thought, you know, I think we're gonna have a great conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I've really, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. And I can see why you're an expert in this field. I mean, your, your uh, advice on the business end, I really appreciate it because at the same time that it's practical and, and business and focus, it's also very human, very warm, and always you know, keeping that clearly in mind. And I, that's wonderful. It's a wonderful combination, and I, I I can see why you're the expert in the field. So yeah, thank it, you for that. It, it's really you know when you uh, when you're selling things, it's uh, you you're uh, you you need to connect with your target um, uh, ideal reader, ideal uh, customer, ideal person to whom you would provide mm -hmm. the service, and you need to con to connect with them emotionally. Right. Even without knowing them, you need to sort of send out that energy <laughs> ahead of time. And yeah. uh, then the connection will happen because <laughs> you, what uh, what you've got, somebody is actively seeking. And if you're <laughs> giving out a lot of uh, good stuff that will be super valuable to somebody, then um, the people will be super glad to give you money and they will feel like they're not paying you enough because that's exactly because <laughs> you're giving out more you're yeah. just yeah. you know this uh radiant being that is radiating this stuff the energy into the world and um, i think that's how we all are you know on a deeper level yeah. um, so absolutely yeah okay well thank you so much and um Guys, uh, check out uh, Robert's website. Uh, I will post the link and also follow him on Instagram and like his uh, Facebook um, page on Facebook. So um, I am uh, uh, finishing this episode with uh, best wishes to everybody in 2014. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and subscribe to this podcast, check out our website and connect with us on social. We are here to help you bring your vision of success to life. So thank you and bye for now.